and welcome to the Women in Archaeology podcast, a podcast about, for, and by women in the field. My name is Chelsea Slotten, and I'll be your host for the episode. On today's episode, we'll be chatting with Anna and Amber from the DIRT podcast. The DIRT podcast brings you exciting stories all about the weird, amazing, mysterious, and fascinating human past we all share. You can find their show at www.thedirtpod.com. Today's topic is fan favorite, stories from the field and lab. Filling out the panel today are Kirsten Lopez and Emily Long. Thank you so much for being here, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We're so thrilled to have you guys. I'm really excited to share some stories about (laughs) bugs and (laughs) bears and orcas and all sorts of things. But before we jump into that, Anna and Amber, um, can I get... Both of you, and I don't care who goes first, um, but can you both just give a brief introduction into who you are, what kind of archaeology you're into, your podcast, really anything you want, just for our listeners? Sure. Do you want to... You said my name first, so I'll go. My name is Anna. This is what my voice sounds like. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I am an archaeologist who specializes in human prehistory, and even more specifically than that... uh, animal analysis. So I, my training is in zooarchaeology. And so I my work was identifying the animal bones present in archaeological sites and trying to figure out what the relationship those animals had with, with the humans living at the site was. So were the humans eating the animals? Were the animals just also there? That kind of thing. But once I got my doctorate, I actually kind of moved away from academia and am now moving more into the science communication part of things. And so I'm interested in telling everybody all about archaeology and anthropology all the time. So I write for sapiens.org and I am one half of the Dirt podcast with Amber. And um, I'm Amber. I'm the other half of the podcast. And this is what my voice sounds like. Um, I think that it was a little tricky for some people when they first listened, um, especially with our older mics. We weren't doing ourselves any favors. No, um, sure weren't. <laughs> but I've known Anna since we were an undergrad together. Uh, and and so we were each in the archaeology department at Bryn Mawr College. And I'm a... Um, I guess I could say former, well, hopefully once in future graduate student. Um, I my um, specialty, my area of focus was um, the pre-Islamic Arabian Peninsula when I was in grad Ooh. school, um, and I I left that program um, because I. Um, it was, you know, like we have their issues of intellectual fit, sure. Um, Mm -hmm. but more pressing was, um, that was around the time that I was, uh, finally diagnosed with a mental illness. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it was, um, my studies were interrupted to say the least. Um, and so my research interests have grown over the years to be, um, less, doing Near Eastern archaeology and more trying to understand why uh, we do Near Eastern archaeology. And so I'm much more interested now in the um, sort of development of the discipline, uh, specifically Mm -hmm. in America, and the relationships between uh, sort of American statecraft and, and foreign policy and research, because I've spent the intervening years uh, involved in um, federally supported programming and, mm-hmm. and sort of uh, both from the Department of State and the Department of Education that's on the topic of area studies and international studies. And so it's been very fascinating to uh, kind of intellectualize the sort of grant making process. Um, and so something that I love about uh, doing podcasting and working with Anna and and making the dirt is that um, as someone who I was I was the first woman in my family to go to college, I'm from a rural place. Um, you know, I have a disability. There are lots of things about me um, that made me feel, like I was not meant to be in academia um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, things working against me. And Mm -hmm. um, I've spent uh, at this point, I've spent more time 
not in academia than I was in. Um, and I've become more, um, more strident in my, my desire to show people that there is a place for you. Um, and that the, the, to aid in representation and advocacy and, and that there isn't a wrong time to get into, um, to, to get into archaeology, to get into anthropology. There's not a wrong way. Um, and just, um, I, I, I'm trying to be to others what I needed when I was 17 and going to college. Oh. I'm sort of meeting people where they're at. That's um, so amazing. That's yeah. wonderful. So I think we complement each other well. <laughs> yeah. And yes, and we've we've heard wonderful things about the podcast and about you guys. And it oh, sounds gosh. like your message that you're you're hoping to present is definitely coming through. Yeah, and yes. one of the one of the other things that we try to do on the dirt is, despite what some people appear to like and dislike, uh, is have fun and like and tell jokes. And obviously, when it's appropriate, we don't joke about some of the heavier subject matter that we cover. But oh, yeah. but in in an effort to make the storytelling from archaeology and anthropology, in an effort to make that as engaging as possible we've found that it's really, really useful to have some, you know, a sense of humor about it. Yeah. Um, and, mm -hmm. and for our particular brand, whatever that is, um, it seems to work. Although a few choice reviews would suggest otherwise. <laughs> it's great In preparation for this. I did, uh, poke through your guys's vast library. Um, <laughs> it's pretty big, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. Um, and yeah, it's it's super fun. You guys have a great dynamic, and I just wanted to tip my hat. Oh, uh, thank you for that as well. Yeah, so thank good job. You. Oh, I thanks. That, Gosh. <laughs> well, and and you know, there have been, you know, there's been the odd occasion on which someone has said like, oh, like commented on our rapport, and and thinking that this is some kind of cultivated skill that we have. No, uh, but uh, but no, it's just the product of, of having been friends for a very long time and very good friends, and we. Um, <laughs> Before we started the show, I, well, I feel like since we started the show, um, Anna's partner is probably very relieved that Anna has an outlet for puns. And <laughs> I mean, I do exactly as many off the show as I do on the show. It's just, I can't help it. <laughs> just, they just come out. We love puns here. Great. Um, I made an effort to keep it fun and jokey and lighthearted. Um, as much should, as possible. Yes, as much as possible. Um, I think that we should kick off with uh, some some stories. So, does anyone want to give maybe their like creepiest oh. field story uh, or lab story? Right, I'm primarily a lab person, so while I have some field stories, I have some some good lab stories as well. well I'm sure there's been creepy crawlies as well as creepy situations happening in labs too so uh, yes I don't, know. I don't know if I get creeped out enough in a lab I'm usually just kind of focused on doing stuff I know Amber is the queen of creep business. on our show <laughs> so and I mean that as the highest compliment but um we have a feature <laughs> we do a series every October that where Amber just treats me to a full month of the weirdest creepiest spooktoberist archaeology stories so that's coming up that's awesome oh, that sounds uh, fun so so i amber i defer to you oh gosh well i um well, i mean i'll just i'll just plug spooktober for a second i feel like i um on november 1st i start planning <laughs> um and so i just have um i have so much i have a lot of fun um, and well, I've been trying to outdo myself every year. And it's not I, a sustainable strategy. Um, <laughs> it's not a sustainable model. Uh, this will be the fourth year 
of creepy things happening to you or just stories you hear? Not to me no, no, personally, no. but but learning, uh, finding stories from um, like archaeological Ooh. case studies of oh, creepiness. Gotcha. Um, and so there is a recurring theme in Spooktober where I think I'm studying one thing, but then it turns out that like the 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 like monster was just colonialist. <laughs> like it like comes up on me like every time where I'm like, what? Like why Oops. am I not <laughs> all colonialism? Why am I not anticipating this? <laughs> yeah. Colonialism was under the mask. It, all yeah, you pull the sheet off. It was old man colonialism. It's <laughs> uh, just a British white dude. But um um, and then, and then I find myself just finding a lot of of stories where I'm like, "Oh, well, this is just unmitigated human suffering that Oops. we're looking at. Nope. That's not a fun yeah. Halloween. Like that's that's not creepy." So I try to find I try to find stories that fall somewhere in, in the middle. Um, something that has become a perennial favorite, one of our best episodes of all time, um, was we did an episode on. Um, are you familiar with Clad Hollow? No. I'm just happy to have contributed the title for that episode. (laughs) (laughs) So what it was, a story in several parts, I think was what it was called. Yeah. Clad Holland, a story in several parts. Um, And so this is a site um, in the, in the outer, in the outer Hebrides. Bronze Age England. um, And there was an, an excavation. So you'll forgive me if I'm missing the details, but I have to go back and listen to my own episode. Um, but there was an excavation in which there were um, human remains found and they were mummified. And then when they did additional study, what they found, yep. spoilers for that episode, um, is that there were multiple individuals represented wow. in that single mummy over a period of possibly what? up to eight hundred years and so you had um i think it was like it was there was a cranium of someone one else's of jawbone of another. Yep. and then in each hand uh there were teeth from different people they were holding they teeth, were holding teeth from other people um and and the mummies were in like a flexed seated position uh and it had been sort of lightly was it lightly pickled or just full-on yeah mummified? so there's a there's a um the there was really cool analysis done of the mummification process where um, they had been um, interred in a bog. Well, they, they had been briefly interred in a bog to just sort of like a quick dip. Um, and then there's, so it's like hard to pull bodies out of bogs. What exactly? Yeah. Were so doing that was that? seen that it was, it was something that um, you know, paused um, putrefaction. Um, and then I, um, as I learned preparing this episode, there is a um, a known tradition of um, smoke, like mummification <laughs> via smoke, curing uh, in in the the, the British oh. Isles at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, just like a wild story that we didn't answer any questions. Um, I, our whole episode was basically just like, <laughs> "What were they doing?" <laughs> we don't know. Yeah, and so it was. It was just this like really exemplary case of uh, just like doing your usual excavation, and then you find something that they were in no (laughs) way prepared for. Um, So that's a that was a really great episode. And then um, I this last last um, last October I did one on um, live burial and. I still sometimes see some of the things that I saw, like oh, when I shut my. That one wasn't as fun. And so, there was like an episode that, like halfway through, oh, I was just like, oh, <laughs> there were like points in the script where I just wrote, "This sucks. I hate." <laughs> oh, this that sounds so creepy. And I was speaking of things that you <laughs> kind of going about doing your your day and come across something that you're unprepared for. I am quite happy uh, that yes. I made the decision I did. The site that I um, did my PhD dissertation research on, um, which was at the University of Copenhagen, the basement that I was working in, because it's always a basement full of skeletons, right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm an osteoarchaeologist, so I study yeah. human skeletons. Um, Where else are you going to put them? Right? There, there were some mummies and some other things in there too, uh, but most, mostly skeletons. But I was warned, thankfully, not uh, shown by someone I knew in Denmark, that mm. that particular hallway, and, and it's, it's linked 
the university building that I was in is linked to the hospital and there's just like a maze of tunnels underneath it to get from different departments and you know some of the equipment is down there that needs to be kept really cool so putting it in the basement will help to keep the like whole things so it's a maze and it's dimly lit and sometimes the light bulbs flicker and it's kind of concrete brutalist yep, it's haunted. And, and i just like went along with it yep. but one of my friends warned me that there was a scandy noir like crime thriller spooktacular series that was um shot there at one point <laughs> and i decided not to watch it um because i easily get spooked uh which is weird for someone who studies dead people right <laughs> but let me tell you i am glad that i decided not to watch it because on my last night in copenhagen after i'd, I'd packed up i'd handed in my badge i was done at the university we decided to put it on and it, it was just with subtitles because it was a, a scandy drama um so it's danish and my danish is not that good and normally with subtitles it's like less scary and let me just tell you like, I cannot imagine having watched that show and then having to go into that building oh, day no. after day. Oh, no. I'm so glad I waited till the end because it was super creepy. Awesome. Well, like, basements are already creepy Ooh. and, like, dark, dark places like, like libraries and museums. And as soon as they're dark or just seem like you're in the sub-level, it's already so much creepier. With the lights flickering. That's always the catch. The lights flickering. That's when like the weird ghost appears and then disappears. And then you hear some strange Victorian yes. child's laughter. <laughs> or the tinkling or of the music box. Groaning from somewhere oh, yeah. unseen. Yes. Oh yeah. And the caveat then too on that is like you have to be or by your yourself. Because yeah, I've definitely been at archaeological sites by myself where it's like a burial site and whatnot. And as soon as I'm alone and I'm mm. I immediately I'm like, is there someone behind me? It feels like there's someone behind me. Who's watching me? What's going on? And I, I imagine the same thing in a museum or basement where it's like, I'm all alone. But who else is here? I was alone 95% of the time, which was great because I could play whatever music I wanted to. And in an attempt to improve my Danish, and, and I can actually, I have a couple of friends I've stayed in touch with and we text in Danish and I'm actually quite proud of the fact that I am. That's awesome. Uh, my friend has told me I have the grammar of an 11 year old, but it's a foreign language. I'll take it. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah. 11 year olds I, communicate. Yeah, it might not yeah. be pretty, but I can get across what I mean. Um, but in an attempt to improve my my Danish, I found myself putting on like Disney songs in Danish. As, oh, like, that's fun! Children's like the wheels on the bus go round and round, but in Danish. And one time, my point of contact and someone from high up in the university and a living person came in <laughs> when I was playing Disney <laughs> and studying skeletons, and I was like, "This is this is totally normal." <laughs> I'm just trying to learn Danish. <laughs> well, and I'm sure later on, it's like somebody's I down know. there and they're like, why do I hear the echoes of the wheels on the bus? <laughs> <laughs> and why is it in yeah. minor? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, creepy stories. Uh, I have a quick one, um, but I was on a survey in BLM land in somewhere in Oregon. And we're going along. We start our day early. Um, there's only three of us. I'm on the outer left. Uh, a friend of mine is in the middle and boss is on the right. And we're going through and suddenly we stop or the person in the middle stops and she's like, okay, I need you guys to come here. And I turn and we're probably only about like, you know, five, 10 meters away. Um, after she stopped and I can see what she's talking about from a distance and it's this sort of depression in the ground that's about six foot by three foot with some uh, like fabrics sticking out uh -oh. um, so uh -oh. we went into oh shit mode and you know poked at it a little bit did see some bone so we it's like a Sunday so we Dig up the sheriff, uh, find the sheriff. The sheriff gets a hold of the BLM 
uh, folks who gets a hold of the state anthropologist and uh, a couple of um, detectives. Yeah, yeah, as you do. Um, and we got DNA swabbed, boot printed, and showed them where the site mm. was. Kind of were dismissed for the day, so we all decided to go have a beer and wait. And and as we're waiting at the restaurant, we get a call. And my boss just kind of like nods his head and is like, mm-hmm, okay, well, thanks. Turns off the phone, looks at me and says, ladies and gentlemen, we have a horse. <laughs> oh. So, so <laughs> had thought it the brilliant idea to, instead of disposing of a dying or dead horse as you normally would, walked it out to the middle of BLM land, uh, buried it in the chainsaw bag of all things. Um, and oh that was one massive hole when we went back the next day after they had excavated it. So. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, to be fair, wow. yes, horses are big. Horses are them, it can be very expensive, but oh. Okay, so on that note, we've had a couple of <laughs> creepy stories. I now feel really sad for the, the horse. So yes. we're going to go to break so that I can like process my sadness over the horse. Uh, and when we come back, we'll talk about some more fun field stories. Did you know that we have a blog? Check out the Women in Archaeology website for a variety of blog posts, as well as past episodes. Interested in supporting the podcast? From the website, you can check out our Patreon account and learn about the different ways to help support the blog and podcast. We can give you a cool sticker in return. Again, thank you for listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. On today's episode, we've been joined by Amber and Anna from The Dirt Podcast. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about some of our favorite field stories. We covered some creepy stories last segment, and in the break, I was promised that there was a <laughs> camel story to come. So I think the topic for this 20-minute segment is going to be animal stories. Oh, so... I was hoping it was camels. Just... <laughs> It's a little prohibitive. Solid minutes of camel content. <laughs> like, oh man, no. I don't have any camel stories. <laughs> if we got 20 minutes of camel content, I would be impressed. But I do want to hear this story. So uh, it was Amber. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, as I mentioned in my introduction, um, in a previous life, I uh, I studied the archaeology of the pre-Islamic Arabian Peninsula, um, and something that they have. Um, in the Arabian Peninsula, <laughs> um, is camels, <laughs> specifically dromedaries. Let me drop some um, knowledge on you. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like I'm vamping to make the full 20 minutes, but I promise I'm not. This is a, a short story, and this is one of Anna's favorite stories because I think it's just like, um, she's it probably just because she's glad that she doesn't get this side of me. Um, <laughs> so I was working on, um, I was working on a dig in the interior of Oman. Um, and the community that we were working in had, um, some camels ranging. Um, and so sometimes, um, they would be brought pretty close by sight. Um, and sometimes, um, you know, camels are just sort of like rude, bold creatures. And so they would kind of come up and kind of demand to know what we were doing. Um, and I had a colleague. I thought that was the German I, tourists. That was also oh. the German tourists who would, who would show up to our dig house and, and be like, I was told there's a tower. And we're like, oh, no. Um, and, um, and so on site, I had a colleague um, who um, – is Norwegian, and I believe this was their first time working in the Arabian Peninsula. Um, and so there was a camel coming up, and and they just kept he kept asking me like questions about the camels, and being like, oh, <laughs> are they nice? Like, are they tame? Like, what? Like, what's the deal? And I, you know, I was just like, you know, basic camel facts. Um, <laughs> and and then I was like, but be careful, they're venomous. And he was like, what? <laughs> and I was like. Oh, they're 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 venomous. You don't want 
Um, you don't want them to bite you. And he's like, I, I've heard that they spit. And I was like, yeah, you need to watch out for that. <laughs> and so I'm just there, you know, cleaning my trench and just being like, just like a true goblin. Uh, and he was like very anxious about this like encroaching camel where he was just like, oh God, I don't, and he was sort of like asking me like what kind of, of like, venom it has and just sort of, is there an antidote <laughs> yeah it's just like is there is there anti-venom like is it is it sort of like a cytotoxin is it a neurotoxin um and i let this ride for uh much longer than was professional or kind um and then eventually i was i was like i'm just messing with you and he's like what and I was like, they're not they're not venomous and it was just like um but that's probably my most interesting camel story i have lots of incredibly boring camel stories uh, and a lot of camel facts for you Um, but but yeah this is this is indeed as anna said in the break a time that i i lied to someone it was just a little a little camel prank, a cheeky camel prank. At least the guy didn't get spit on before you broke I know. I know. That would have I, I, I yeah. I'm that was a freebie for me. Code Alpha. Code Alpha. <laughs> so I one hundred percent think that you should just like randomly drop camel facts into the rest of this episode. Um, because it would amuse me. And everyone likes camel facts. Um, I think in the break, Emily, you also mentioned that you had a good bear story and like, who doesn't like a good bear story? <laughs> well, it's not so much. I wouldn't say it's like as great as Amber's story. That was pretty awesome. But more, it's just, there's so much fear about black bears. Um, I mean, grizzly bears. Yeah. You should be terrified of them, but <laughs> like derpy black bears in California no. get used to them and they're so used to people. And I was sent out. Um, as a resource advisor for a wildfire that was in the middle of nowhere and um, had to hike uh, in. Quick plug, if you want more information about Emily's career as a resource advisor on fire lines, you should check out our other episode on fire archaeology with Emily. Mm. Yeah! Plug over. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, um, so got this spike camp and there's like all these helicopter drops of MRE boxes and just this one bear just kept circling us and I was like, oh God, it's a bear. But it was just like derping along like doop a doop. You guys got any food? No. And literally we'd be getting out these nasty MREs and then all of a sudden the bear would just like pop up and be like, hey guys. I see you got some food. And then, you know, we'd put it away and um, try to shoo away the bear. And then, you know, like the next day, get out the food, pop out of nowhere. Hey, guys. I you met Yogi. See you guys yeah, you found Yogi Bear. Yeah, pretty much. But it's just, in this area, there are just so many bears that you get to the point where it's like, well, I'm surveying part of the Pacific Crest Trail. So around any really forested corner, you knew just to clap three times at least, just so you know, like, any bears that could be around the corner or especially a mama with cubs would hear you coming. Or I got to, used to singing loudly to myself because a lot of times I was alone. So I was like, eh, who doesn't need show tunes in the forest? It's like, um, so yeah, that's, that's my bear stories more that they were everywhere and just gotta sing show tunes, clap around corners, use a bear barrel. <laughs> Yeah, clapping doesn't help with grizzlies. Oh I yeah, understand. don't don't do that with grizzlies. They will eat you. <laughs> right. They're like, oh, I see you're tenderizing yourself for me. Thank you. But they <laughs> might like show tunes. Yeah. <laughs> so grizzlies, not fun. Oh. Polar bears, also not fun. When I excavated uh, and was doing survey work as well up in the Arctic, um, one. There was a big conversation about the fact that there used to be a gun on the boat and there was no longer a gun on the boat because Canada has different gun laws. But really, if you come across a polar bear, you kind of want to have a gun on the boat. Um, And like a day or two after this this conversation, the reason there was no longer a gun on the boat um, was because it misfired and there was a hole in the boat from a previous summer that had been patched where... (laughs) <laughs> um, 
And but. like then the the boat captain is like, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Like throwing the, the gun off yeah. the, the boat. So I, I don't know if like, that's oh. how that went. But there was no longer a gun on the boat. Um, oh, okay. I thought that maybe like a bear got it. And then I was like, no. oh my God, a grizzly with a gun. No. Like that's- no, no, no. A bear did not get it. However, a couple of days after this story, we were um, surveying an island. And the captain kept... Uh, blowing the horn and we were like well that's kind of odd like that's not really a normal thing um so you know we brought lunch with us and normally we would get on the you know the little oh the blow-up boats that start with z anyways doesn't really matter okay yep um normally we'd go to the island and one of those survey we brought lunch with us had lunch but the boat captain just kept you know, honking the, the horn. And we were like, oh, like, we wonder if he's okay. Like, this is really weird behavior. So we decided to go back for an early lunch to make sure that he was okay. And when we get back on the boat, he's like, good God, I thought I was going to have to come get you myself. A polar bear has been stalking you in the trees for the last oh three God. hours. Just like, climb, you know, following us around as we were surveying, just like seeing what we were up to and thinking about attacking us. Needless to say, we went to a different island. <laughs> well, I would say that qualifies as a creepy bear story, for sure. Oh yeah, bears and creepy. <laughs> yeah, I never had encounters with bears, surprisingly, as much as I've surveyed. But I have actually had a number of encounters with um, cattle. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> More stubborn. Yep. Like big and dumb. Steers or my favorite was this big mm. oh god, I can't remember what they're called. They're the big starts with an H. Uh really big milk cows. Holstein? Holstein, yes. Those things are giant to they start. Are. There was um a farm uh that we were uh doing a subsurface survey for and they had a bunch of sheep so the sheep were kind of put away to another part of the property but this holstein was out there and they're like you know he she will want to see what you're doing she's nice just don't turn your back on her and (laughs) that's not alarming not at all and this thing is like it just turns out she's she's into theft Right? I mean, at the shoulder, she was like two meters tall or more. A big girl. Uh, A big girl. And so we're, you know, digging our little one meter holes. And there's usually a pair of us per hole. And she comes right up and just watching and looking at us. (laughs) Very sweet. Just derpy old cow. (laughs) And over her shoulder, I could see sort of over the hill, this little head pop up. And there was the guard llama. The guard llama? Oh, no. This llama was trained to guard the sheep. What? And we weren't near the sheep, but we were on the property where they have grazed before. And man, this this llama would like pop his little head up along like the edges of the hill just like come just into view, look at us, disappear, and then like 180 degrees, 100 degrees around the hill, pop his little head up again, be like, where is this guy coming from? That was the (laughs) most bizarre, like, encounter I've had, I think, with a domestic animal um, was this garden llama. Guard llama. I love the idea of a guard llama and they just be like, <laughs> in in its. Would you want to mess with a llama? No, in its little llama head, I bet it was going like back, 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 Exactly. I'm so sneaky. Well, llamas, llamas are kind of kind of spicy creatures. Speaking of spicy creatures, my dog is named Spice, and she is currently sitting next to me begging for attention <laughs> uh, well i have a camel fact a camel fact yes camel facts so um are you familiar with the united states camel court? i am what no. which which sounds like which sounds like a you know camel core scene <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> just, but um, in fact, the U.S. Camel Corps was something that was introduced in the mid-19th yep. century for the U.S. Army, where they um, um, imported camels and they thought that they would be a really great way to, um, you know, continue their um, objectives <sighs> in the American Southwest and the American West. Um, but um, it was... Um, it was short-lived because um, I I don't know if you're an expert in American history, but something happened in the mid-19th century um, that involved the U.S. Mm-hmm. Army. Um, and so, so um, Robert E. Lee, when he was a part of the U.S. Army, he was one of the big proponents of the Camel Corps. And, and this was ostensibly um, because they were better in sort of a desert environment than horses yeah they they were but yeah they were better in yeah because the u.s army had used uh, mules like horses and mules mm-hmm. um and in um, desert environments it was easier to um employ a camel um, it was easier to feed a camel because they would eat creosote bushes uh which like nothing else ate and that was the only thing that grew in a lot of places um and so the um if there were in this, in sort of in the story of the Confederacy and the Civil War, if there were a lost cause that I could get behind, it would be the Camel Corps, um, because the reason why the Camel Corps idea was sort of died is because it was people who left to join the Confederacy or you know, oh. be its president um, or be one of its primary <laughs> military <laughs> leaders. Uh, the people who were really on board with Camel Corps um, left the the U.S. Oh Army. Uh, and and they would have had to like rely on importing camels. And they were like, well, we've got mules right here. And so, alas... Yes. The camel. Oh, wow. Gosh, imagine all those Civil War paintings would be so much better with camels. <laughs> like Gettysburg oh, with camels. <laughs> yes. Yes. But also, like, my understanding of camels is that they're kind of assholes. They're, they're they rude. Are rude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're <Okay>. very judgy. <laughs> so, I mean, better, worse than mules? Either way, don't walk behind say. them. <laughs> <laughs> Anna, did you have a, a story you wanted to share? I do. It's um, It's got animals in it. Hooray! Um, so this is tangentially related to archaeology because it was in Paris while I was doing data collection for my dissertation. And I was doing that. It, yeah, well, I was doing that in Bordeaux. My partner was in Paris doing her research. And so I was visiting. But I was still there archaeologically-ish. Um, we went to the for visa for, reasons for reasons <laughs> yes <laughs> um so we went to the jardin des plantes which is a former french palace and despite the name has more than plants in it it has a small zoo because the, the palace used to have a menagerie and they just kept up appearances i guess mm. um and this was in the evening it was also very soon after the trocadero shooting at in Paris in mm. uh, which I believe was in November of 2017 18 um, and so Paris was sort of on heightened alert and there were gendarmes and uh, sort of members of the the French army everywhere with automatic weapons and so that was sort of just the, the background noise of this so we were just with a friend and we went to the zoo and it was in the evening and um, we were just poking around the exhibits. It was a nice small little zoo. And we were, we had read the sign on the entryway and it said, you know, the zoo closes at 6 PM. Okay. Um, and so, Oh, I just got a message from my partner who can apparently hear me. And it was in 2015. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Texting me from the other room. You're doing it wrong. I've got, got fact checkers yeah. on the line here. She's not even paid. Um, but we... <laughs> Neither of That's exceptionally true. Um, and so we were bopping around the zoo, and we were like, we got another half hour to go. And we were in the big cat house. So it was uh, you know, an enclosure that had several 
um, cat species like leopards and lynxes and a caracal. It was very cool. And then as we were in there, they started turning out the lights in the building, like in the <laughs> in the enclosure parts. Mm. And we were like, oh, because we saw someone like walking with a bowl with a rabbit in it, like a dead. It wasn't this wasn't cruel or anything. They just were like, ah, yes, they're feeding the animals. And mm-hmm. they, they turned the lights off because they're nocturnal animals and they like to eat at night. Like this was, that was our logic. Um, what we didn't realize was that uh, mm-hmm. for reasons unknown to us, the zoo had closed about half an hour early. And so we tootled our way back to the exit to find that the gates were locked. Uh, <laughs> with us on the inside. Oh, no. the um, and these are very high, spiky iron gates, not a sort of pop over and go on your way kind of situation. And my partner and the other friend that we were with did not speak French terribly well. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but I speak reasonable French, or at least I did back when I was actually in France. And so um, it took some yelling and uh, gesturing, but a couple of armed police came over and we, we sort of very brokenly in very, in very bad French tried to explain that we were not in fact terrorists, but we were idiots who had gotten stuck inside the zoo. Uh, and they were very annoyed, probably because the fact that we had managed to not be seen and not, you know, herded out of the zoo meant that they had to now check the entire property oh, to make no. sure that, so they were like very grumpy and they escorted us all the way out to like the, you know, the outside of the Jardin de Plan where there was a, a main street and they just sort of watched us and made sure we left. It was like, I'm so sorry. We were, we were in the Chateau de Chat, a nous ne sommes pas terroristes, a bonsoir. Uh, yeah. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, who hasn't wanted to get locked in a zoo or a museum at night? Um, I have absolutely not. No. <laughs> I'm good. Oh. All right. Well, that was one of my dreams as a child and my favorite time to be at the museum when I worked at a museum. No, the museum. The doors opened. The museum's fine. Nothing lives there the that can eat you. That can eat me. <laughs> that you know of. Oh, no. Da, da, da. I don't know. I could just, like, go hang out with the penguins who want, like, the Edinburgh Zoo. Because I live in Edinburgh. They, like they do. The I've seen them. Around. I'm like, I could just watch the penguins around. Um, but before I end up on a penguin rant, because I love penguins, <laughs> um, I'm going to bring us into uh, the ad break, and we will see you shortly. Looking for other archaeology podcasts? There's so many to choose from. Why not try Archie Fantasies and bust myths surrounding ancient finds and people? Or learn about the study of animal bones and archie animals? There's also the great Go Dig a Hole and the Ark and Anth podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Women in Archaeology podcast and all of these fun archaeology podcasts that are available on iTunes, Spotify, all over the place. Thanks for listening. Hi, and welcome back to the third segment of today's Women in Archaeology podcast. On this episode, we have Anna and Amber from the Dirt podcast joining us. And we have been talking about some of our field stories and also some camel facts. <laughs> tell there were more camel facts to come. So take it away. Well, I'll, I'll join in and, and add, add a less probably exciting camel fact. All camel facts are exciting. Th- that's fair. That's Even fair. the ones that are lies. <laughs> we can have camel lies if you want. Lies. <laughs> Yes, I've actually had some uh, multiple encounters with the American giant camel in the field, um, which is super exciting. It's something that you don't see a whole lot of, but apparently was plentiful enough in Oregon to leave plenty of fossils behind. So I've surveyed part of Fossil Lake um, and encountered numerous uh, pieces of American camel, giant camel down there. And um, in my... Uh, the site that I did my master's research on and my field school um, is Paisley Caves, and in which is one of the ah. oldest coexisting giant camel and human. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, kind of fun. Guys, their genus name is Camelops. Yep. 
Yep. <laughs> yep. The tribe is Camelini. Oh, <laughs> delicious. Sounds <laughs> fantastic. So yeah, and it was oh, much, yeah. much larger than the camels we see today and was more closely related, of course, to um, the other camelids, which live today in the Americas, um, llamas, which were mm-hmm. in our last uh, segment. So I didn't hey. realize that llamas were camelids. They are. They are. They mm-hmm. all spit and look funny. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fair. So I might jump in here with a story about creatures that will never go extinct. Unlike <laughs> uh, the camelops, uh, which of course are cockroaches. Of course. And, and to preface this, I realize that I am an archaeologist. I am not a bug person. <laughs> um, as I have aged, I have aged out of screaming and shrieking and dropping things and running away when I see spiders because I lived in an area where we had brown recluses and black widows and spiders could do damage. Um, I now live in the UK. There are no poisonous spiders here. I still scream uh, or shriek or get annoyed and ask someone else to deal with them because I don't like them. They can move in too many directions. But I'm also not terribly fond of cockroaches. And I went to school in New Orleans, which if you've ever been to New Orleans... Full of cockroaches. Huh. So, I didn't know that they had a lot of cockroaches there. They oh, have yeah. so many cockroaches. Is it because it's swampy? It's swampy. It's hot. It's, I, I don't know. There are so many cockroaches. Whatever it is, they like it. Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, so aside from, you know, the night that I rolled over to face my wall, opened my eyes, and there was a cockroach about three inches from my nose. No. Um, and I woke up literally my entire floor screaming because that was not a pleasant way to wake up. Um, sorry to any of my old floor mates hey. who might be listening to this podcast. But I, I, I had be... that in undergrad with house centipedes. Ugh. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Easty, beasties. Not, not a bug fan. Like, like <laughs> digging in the dirt. Have to deal with bugs. Not a fan of them. Yeah, but then you're in um, their I, space. Like, yeah, I respect them from a distance. Yes, from a distance being being the key word there. Um, so I was working at the University Archives part-time as a student worker. And they had just gotten several boxes of correspondence from um, a U.S. envoy to the Vatican who was donating her... She she had retired, she'd gotten a degree from that university, and so she was donating her kind of collection. And it had all been sent over, and I think it had been sitting for a week or two. I mean, this is over 10 years ago now. Um, You know, no one had had time to to look at it, and they said, all right, Chelsea, uh, our lovely student worker, your job is going to be to open up these boxes and kind of figure out what's in them. We don't know how well cataloged any of this is. Um, And basically what we want you to do is to sort it into years for correspondence. And I said, great, I can do that. So I open up the first box and it looks like things have been tied together into like bundles of, of correspondence, not really sure you know, if it's organized in any way. And I pick up the first bundle and I kid you not, hundreds of cockroaches start streaming out of this box. Some of them started crawling on me because they the back of the packet that I picked up. And I just like, I was in an archive and it was quiet and there were other researchers there. And I was trying so hard to be professional and just like, I like, put the envelopes down very, very carefully because I didn't want anything to happen to them. And then literally just started doing that like bug dance, you know, where you're shaking your arms and you're shaking your legs and you're like, no, 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 no. Got all the bugs off of me. Oh my God. Went to go find my supervisor and was just like, so many cockroaches. 
And she's like, okay, okay, I'll take care of it. Uh, what else can we have you do? Oh, we've got this other box of letters yeah. from this uh, L.A. playwright. Right, so they opened it up. They made sure there were no cockroaches in it. They went to pick up all the, the boxes from the Vatican envoy to fumigate them because cockroaches. Um, started going through that box. And it turns out, and this should not be terribly surprising, um, given what we now know with Harvey Weinstein and the like, but this was an, an older male uh, gay playwright. Uh, and he apparently was well known to help young aspiring actors establish their careers in return for a little something something, mm-hmm. which was well documented in all of his letters. Oh no! Included a variety of full frontal nudes. No! <laughs> which part was worse? Both. Um, anyways, brought that to the attention of my supervisors as well, and they were like, hmm. Maybe you should just go home for the day. <laughs> Today is not your day. Oh, buddy. Who knew the archives could be so exciting? Right? Oh, man. Cockroaches and cocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Different kind of cockroach. A hard pass. Oh, bud. I have a bug story. I mean, it's not, not as cool as the archives, um, but just... In terms of the creepy crawlies and doing the bug dance. I've done the bug dance many, many times. Um, But I'd say like the worst bugs I've ever encountered are in Oklahoma for surveying because of ticks. That's where I live. Oh. Mm -hmm. Do do you get really bad ticks? Uh, The fleas are more of a problem at the moment. But (laughs) I don't know. the, The... the one time I did a survey in Oklahoma, I ended up being like, it was their worst tick season within a few Ugh. years. And I I never really had to deal with ticks all that much. And so I had like gators covered in um, DEET. Mm. I bought pomethrin and all that yeah. kind of stuff because I was just desperate. Because the first time I went out, I was like, oh, whatever, la, la, la. I'm sure I'll be fine. <laughs> and oh, I get back yeah. to the hotel and I had over 30 ticks embedded. Yeah. And that's not Ooh. counting the ticks that weren't embedded. And then I was like, oh, my God. And I, of course, did the bug dance and lost my mind. And I had to do, like, all this stuff to, like, I put, like, Vaseline in my hair to try to, like, drown them out so that then I could pull them more easily. It was a lot of gross stuff. Anywho, so the next day I was like, okay, I'm covered in DEET. It's going to be better. I get back and I'm like, shower, there's fewer ticks. I got maybe 10 embedded or something like that. And I'm I'm lying in the hotel um, and just chilling out and and I'm like, huh, why are the freckles on my legs moving? (laughs) And it turns out sea ticks are a thing. Never knew that. And I like tiny oh they're so tiny and they're so horrible and so i got duct tape and i got the duct tape and that was the only way to really get them out so i'm like duct taping my legs and duct taping my arms and then i go into the bathroom and they're in my eyebrows oh Oh my god and so like after that project and like they came to a point where i was like completely covered head to toe i duct taped my pants and shirt closed i Refuse to pee outside because that seems to be oh. Oh, no. opening the gates um, to one's clothing <laughs> um, and that type of thing. And I pretty much told that company, I'm like, I'm never going to work in Oklahoma again. Yeah, hard pass. <laughs> Do the ticks in Oklahoma have Lyme disease? Oh, yeah. And I'm sure Oklahoma's wonderful. I just, I had a very bad experience. I think Lyme... Lyme is less common there, as I understand it, but there are other yeah. tick-borne illnesses that are more oh, common. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I, I grew up pretty close to Lyme, Connecticut, the place from which Lyme disease emerged. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm just always tick-adjacent. <laughs> um, now, I, I have to let everyone know that through this entire conversation, I have gotten out my National Audubon Society Field Guide to Insects and Spiders. Oh, um, Excellent. And so I've been looking up everything that we've been talking about. Why? Uh, there was a... You're going to send uh, me pictures of them later. Why? <laughs> no, there was a... There was a... There was a cockroach... So I live in the woods. Like, uh, and so there are cockroaches outside. Like in a house. Where they live. Yeah, I mean, I live I live in a, in a home. Um, there was a... There was a cockroach. And so I, I have... I have an aversion to squashing bugs. Um, not because they gross me out, but just because 
um, I, I would rather relocate them. Um, oh, and so to be perfectly I, clear, when I see a, a spider and I want something done about it, I want it relocated, but I don't oh, yeah, get yeah. close oh, enough yeah, to yeah. relocate it. Yeah. I, I can't handle um, the so, crunch sound, so I totally oh, yeah. Now... I have, a, I have a new approach to this, which usually I, uh, well, um, I, I lived in a basement apartment for a while and there was a um, Jerusalem cricket that had moved into my uh, uh, bathroom. Yep, and I so remember what this. I, what I did was I just pulled the door shut and yelled, you owe me $600. And <laughs> it was big enough like, to pay rent. I have a new room right now. Um, and so when I don't have, when I do have people around, um, I just yell like, ah, there's an insect. But now my new trick is to yell, ah, let me identify it. And my parents are like, it's a cockroach. And I'm like, yes, but what kind? Um, and, and so I, I get to, I don't have to deal with this. But um, I have, I, I have a few, um, I have one tick-based trauma story, but that I won't share. Uh, it's just sort of <laughs> just letting about, us know you have one. But yes. Um, <laughs> just, it's like you're just reminding me of things that happened in my childhood. But it was oh, a, little, no. a little bit of a uh, – no, it's fine. Um, a little bit of, um, I think, an elaboration on the bug dance is when I was um, uh, hospitalized when I was swimming. And this was before my archaeology oh, days when I was right. just a child. I was swimming up at my aunt's house. She lived up on the mountain. Um, and um, I was swimming in her above ground pool. And I had long hair. I've never been good at brushing my hair. I've, ne- I've always been the seven-year-old. Um, and I had my little goggles. And I was swimming around. And there was a Japanese beetle. Um, they are an invasive species that come and eat specifically my plants, it seems, exclusively. <laughs> and... Um, one was um, around my temple, and I thought it was just my my bedraggled hair, and so I brushed it, and and then I was like, oh, that's weird. And then I felt something in my ear. <gasps> I oh no, uh, was just like, oh, oh yes. there's something in my ear, and I sort of brushed at my, I kind of pawed at my ear, and I was like, nope, that's going in, and I started oh, shrieking. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And so my mom and um, I think my aunt ran over. They had been sort of keeping, they like visiting while I was splashing around. Um, And they ran over and they didn't know what was going on. And so I just kept screaming, it's in my ear, it's in my ear. And I don't know if you've seen a Japanese beetle, but they're very sharp, sharp little guys. Um, And it had crawled into my ear and it was moving and uh, it was confused. And my... um, I was like, it's in my ear. There's something in my ear. My mom didn't know what it was that was in my ear. And so my aunt ran in and got um, uh, basically the syringe that one of my cousins had had their wisdom teeth out. And so, you know, the irrigation syringe that you like to like clean your little yeah, yeah. Or whatever. So she got that, which was clever of just like, well, she said there's something in her ear. Let's rinse it out. And so Ugh. they sort of they got some water and they tried to shoot some water in my ear to kind of wash out whatever it was I was shrieking about because they didn't know what was going on. Um, and I didn't fully understand what was going on. And also I was a child and um, it it upset the insect that was inside my head that at this point I thought was just in my brain. Um, so <laughs> it, it had scratched in my ear and it was very painful because um, it turns out you got a lot of nerve endings in your ear canal. And so what it did was it kind of pivoted and was trying to get away from it. And so yeah. it was scratching more. My mom got a flashlight and was like, maybe it'll come out. And it started backing up because it was going to the light. Again, very clever of, of these two women in my life. Um, but as it started moving, I started really freaking out. And so my mom didn't really know what to do with me. Um, and so she kind of threw me, she like wrapped me in a towel, pulled me out of the pool, <laughs> wrapped me in a towel. Because uh, at this point, I'm just like hanging over the edge, shrieking. Um, yeah. And we drive down the mountain to um, what it raised, what really is just like sort of a rural health clinic. Um, like it, it wasn't like an ER or anything, but they were the medical establishment there. Um, my mom leaves me in the car, runs in to be like, I have a shrieking child, a wet shrieking child. Um <laughs> can we not sit in the lobby? And they were like, that sounds great. (laughs) So they brought me in through the side door where at this point I was just like sobbing and shrieking. I didn't have anything. I think I'd be doing the same thing now. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when they got me sat down and quiet and everything, I realized that it wasn't moving anymore. 
And so the, um, the doctor, the PA or whoever, um, just had like little, like little forceps or something and just like, boop, pulled it out. And I was like, do you want to see it? And I'm just like, ah, no, of course. And she's like, here it is. And it was tiny. It was a tiny little, at this point, dead beetle. And she was, uh, so I got some drops and I have like a scar in my ear. And she's like, go home. And uh, she's like, go home and take a bath. You seem cold. <laughs> and I was like, I am so wet. And, um, and so we went home, mom ran me a bath. And then I was in the bathtub and I was you know, going to wash my face and I had my little washcloth and I ran it. I remember pulling it away from my neck and it came back brown um, and I started screaming again. And so what had happened was my mom knew something was wrong because I started bleeding from my ear and she was like, oh, she's not freaking out about nothing. You know, like if it were like a gnat or something. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's weird. Um, And so I... It was a traumatic experience that I had with with beetles. Oh, that sounds awful. Which, like, I guess is technically a field story because the fool was in a field. <laughs> which is yeah, also a Civil War battlefield. Ah. There's a reenactment every year and there's a, a can there's campfire at midnight, which is cool for my aunt. Yeah, that's I think it's a nightmare. <laughs> So thank you, and I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why if I have to camp for work, or used to have to camp for work, I would wear headphones or something while sleeping. So I was like, ain't uh, nothing getting in these ears. That is a brilliant idea. Blah. Oh, man. Yeah. Now, the, the only creepy crawly story, I mean, I've had a tick, a tick. I have not had the monumental amount of ticks that you have. <laughs> yeah. I Never. I can't. That is, I, I just can't even imagine. Because um, I freaked out over one embedded. Oh, so yeah. I hear that there are lots of archaeologists that don't like bugs. Yes. Oh, yeah. We may be, go outside and enjoy being outside or enjoy these things and finding them and seeing like history and archaeology and all that jazz. Oh, no bugs. Hate the bugs. We could do without the bugs. That being said, the bugs are an important part of biodiversity and making sure that the world keeps spinning. So <laughs> I get worried when I go places and there are no bugs because that's not natural. True. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. true. However, I think the Southeast, though I've spent limited time there, has an unruly amount of bugs <laughs> that are too large to really be of any use to anyone except maybe well if you if you need them identified (laughs) well speaking of identification i do have one short lab story um so post field school um i helped with some of the analysis in the lab and there was some interesting stuff that had preserved uh in paisley caves had a whole what's referred to as the biological or organics lens and there was everything from um like hoofs and hair and insects and all of the things that preserved in this lens that dates to uh between 10 and 12,000 years uh oh ago my God. so really cool stuff um i was kind of poking around on the you know, just doing some basic analysis. And my, uh, uh, the uh, lead archaeologist, uh, Dennis Jenkins, to me, and he's like, so I have this hair. He's like, it's, I'm pretty, he's like, I'm pretty sure it's, it's, it's an in-situ hair. It was documented in-situ. And he's like, I think there's, there's like something on it. Can you take a look? So I take a look at it and I'm like, oh yeah, that's a lice egg. He's like, are you sure? Like that's, this is pretty big. Are you sure that's a lice egg? And I'm like, oh, oh yes. This is uh, speaking to my own childhood. Oh Uh, my God. If there is anything I know well, (laughs) that I remember well from my childhood. Ah, My (laughs) old nemesis, we meet again. (laughs) So that was fun um in that 
I could help positively ID the Lysag, which did have DNA that they were able to extract from. Whoa, that's cool. That was really cool. Um, And yeah, so weird things that can pop up uh, in a lab. And the lice egg didn't hatch and breed yeah. some kind of like crazy <laughs> ancient Cronin- giant lice. <laughs> you just hear it hatch like <laughs> scuttles across the lab. Well, on on that exciting note, <laughs> I now feel the need to shower. Know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Scrub down and make sure that I don't have any creepy crawlies on myself. Phantom <sighs> crawling sensation going down the back of my neck. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> much appreciated. Um, I also feel a burning desire to learn more about camels. Right? Um, Amber, and Anna, thank you so much for coming on the show. We should definitely do another crossover at some point. Another Absolutely. We missed yeah. out on. Yeah, for, for more facts and creepy things, but also fun things and cool things and jokes and archaeology <laughs> and anthropology. Uh, you know, check out the dirt. It's yes. fun. We have fun over there. Um, <laughs> it's what? www.thedirtpod.com um, And you are also hosted on the Archaeology Podcast Network. Is that correct? We are. You are. Yeah. Excellent. So go ahead and check them out there. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, have suggestions for other episodes you want to hear us record or want to come on to the blog, we'd love to hear from you, uh, blog or podcast. You can reach out to us at uh, womeninarchaeology at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at womenarchies. And you can find us online at www.womeninarchaeology.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow. And see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.